Iyer's on the road. Parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And here we are. We're glad that you're back with us tonight or today, whenever you're listening to this. We um, have we been on the road this week, Richard? Let's oh see. my gosh, have we ever? We're we're just on the road constantly, Linda. I'm so sick of traveling. Why don't we stop doing this? <laughs> well. Uh, some of our traveling this week was to funerals, actually. Um, it was a great Thanksgiving week. We had a wonderful time. We had 34 people here at our house, and we had a great experience with a long, thankful list that we hung above the table. And um, for decoration, as the kids, it was the kids against the adults, and the kids obviously won the contest of what they're most grateful for, or the number of things they're grateful for. Well, they thought of more thankful things than the adults did, because they have more things to be thankful for, like, you know, they can run and jump, and we can't. Well, true, true, and also they can't cook very well, and so we were madly cooking and they kept coming and saying, what are you thankful for? And I go, oh, like heat, uh, potatoes, uh, boiling water, you know, all, all those things that were right in front of me. But um, it was fun. It was great. And everybody, I mean, how many did we finally come up with? About 700, I think, things yeah. that we were thankful for. There's so. a lot to be thankful for. But I better fill in the, the blank a little. You said we've been traveling to funerals this week. People are wondering, well, who died? Well, Here's the answer. I had an 88 and a half year old aunt, my my uh, the the uh, wife of my father's brother, a wonderful woman named Emma Ray Iyer, who had spent most all of her life in Logan, Utah, and I went up to that funeral, and Linda went to. I went to my brother-in-law's funeral, and he is 94. Now you got to ask yourself, how did that happen? <laughs> well, the thing, I mean, that, that segues a little bit into our subject matter today. We're going to be talking about longevity, particularly as it applies to grandparents and to those who really want to be great grandparents and sort of what do we have to look forward to in life as we get a little older? Well, a lot, as it turns out. And But I think the thing that that I want to say, since you mentioned these funerals, Linda, is that, you know, there are all different kinds of funerals, and this was the best kind in both of our cases, because these were celebrations. When someone lives to be a ripe old age and has a wonderful family around them, then these funerals are really remarkable celebrations of, of the life they lived, of the legacy they left for their family, and just of all the joyous memories that uh, continue to live on with their friends and the people that they associated with during their lives. And so we want to get into that a little bit today. And, and whether you're a grandparent and and uh, already fighting with some issues of age or whether you're a young parent or whether you're a young single person, the question of longevity is a relevant one to everyone. How long... Do you want to live? How, and and what are you doing about it? I mean, and a lot of people answer that by saying, "Hey, you have no control over how you live. You could die tomorrow. Why even think about it?" Well, as it turns out, one of the most important and relevant factors in terms of how long a person lives is how long they want to live, because 
When a person really starts thinking about that question and starts coming up with conclusions about how long they want to live, it changes virtually everything in their life. It changes how they eat, it changes how they exercise, it changes how they think. And it's it's a powerful thing to think about, no matter what age you are at the current time. You, know, you may say, well, what does that have to do with families? I thought Ayers on the Road was always about families. Well, this is really about families because... You know, the greatest thing in the world is multi-generational families, and the, the luckiest kids in the world are those who have parents and grandparents and, in some cases, great-grandparents and who really feel the family narrative and the identity that comes from being part of a multi-generational family. We don't think about that or talk about it often enough, nor do we work hard enough at integrating all the generations of our family and, and understanding the simple old cliche that's really true, which says blood is thicker than water. Well, before you go too far, let us say that um, our producer, has Benjamin, has come up with a way for you to contact us. And if you go to byuradio.com, dot org, dot org, dot org um, you can send in questions or comments. I mean, I've already thought of a couple of things I disagree with you on. Um, oh, you're going to comment on our right, own website so people and disagree may, with me? <laughs> no, oh. I'm just going to say, people <laughs> have different opinions. I mean, what you haven't said is your longevity often depends on your health and not just your physical health, but your mental health. Well, of course. That's, what, so, that's what we're getting at here. Well, but you can't say, I want to live to 100 if your mind is going to be gone for 10 years and you don't know where you are or no, who you are. Well, see, here we do have a basic disagreement, Linda. What I'm saying is that when a person is proactive enough to actually set a longevity goal and say, you know, for various reasons, and we'll talk about some of those reasons in a minute, for various reasons, I want to live to be X number of years old, just setting that goal makes a lot of differences that are, some are obvious and some are very, very subtle. I mean, obviously, if you have a goal to live to be 100, it's going to affect, if it's a serious goal and you really mean it, it's going to affect how you eat and how you how you live and, and how your health, how you maintain your health and how often you go to the doctor and a lot of obvious things. But I think it also begins to affect, in subtle ways, our mentality. I mean, you say, well, I mean, it's easy to say, hey, we have no control over it when we get sick. We have no control over, you know, when we start losing our memories. We have no control over any of that. Actually, I think we do. I think that being proactive about what we want to do and what we want our lives to contain has an enormous impact. In fact, there was a a show on, on NPR today that I was listening to where a Harvard professor was explaining that uh, the basic problem with medicine in this country and in the world is that it essentially deals with physiological symptoms and with our organs and with our physical bodies and doesn't take into account nearly enough the profound effect that the mind has on the body, on, on all kinds of things. I mean, she was even saying, you know, there's two ways when you're on a plane and the person next to you is coughing all over you. One, one mindset says, oh, my gosh, I'm going to for sure get a cold. I'm going to get the flu from this person. 
and the other type of person says, I, you know, my antibodies are going to fight this off. I'm not even worried about it. And little things like that, even over, over whether you catch a cold or not, is often controlled more than we know by our minds, by our brains. And so I maintain that setting a goal for how old you want to live begins to affect you in conscious ways, but also subconscious ways. Well, it does, and I agree with with some of that. Obviously, a positive attitude makes a huge difference in everything that you do. But, I mean, this darling brother-in-law of mine was 94. He, at 91, they had a picture in the program of him fishing at 91, but he had caught this huge fish, giant grin on his face, standing out there in the in the water with his boots and just absolutely loving it. I mean, he, he was, his mind was keen. He was almost blind, but he'd gone to the grocery store the night he died and then went home, went to bed, went to sleep, and just never woke up. Now, that's what all of us wish for. But when you think about how your mother was at 91, who had had dementia for four or five years and didn't know any of us at all the last couple of years, I I think if she'd set a longevity goal for 100, she might be saying, just kidding. Because that's a miserable life when you are so unsure of your surroundings and you don't know who you are or your personality is changing and you have no control over it. So what do you say about that? Well, one of the things we're going to get into in the second half of the show today is some of the practical aspects of of longevity and some of the things that people ought to be thinking about in terms of what do they want to live for. That's really the key question. It's not it's not only how long do you want to live, it's what do you want to live for. And, you know, some of the times when we're speaking, I'll just say this to you listeners, we, we uh, you know, a lot, most of our speaking and presenting is to parents, and it's usually about parenting and marriage relationships and balancing work with family and so on. But more and more, we're getting invitations to speak to um, people of our own generation, baby boomers, essentially, most of whom are grandparents and so on. And one of the, one of the fairly standard ways that we begin our presentations, and I think we'll be doing this even more because it's so interesting, is to simply begin by asking people, how, how old do you want to live? I mean, if you could determine, if you could have your wish, how long would you want? If you could determine the age you'll be when you die, what would it be? And what's really fascinating, I think you'd agree, Linda, is that uh, they they sort of cluster into two groups. It's not what you might expect. There's a large group of people that want to live to be 100, or they want to live as long as they possibly can. They want to just live and live and live. And that's predictable. That's that, you know you'd sort of guess that would be the case. But there's another group of about equal size usually, who surprises us a little and says, "Well, I think maybe you know between 70 and 75 would be a good time to die." And and of course their reasoning is, "I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I don't want to be impaired. I want to live only until I start serious decline, and then I'm out of here." And there are surprisingly few people in between. There's few. There are not many who say, I'd like to live to be about 82 or something, which is actually the average age people do live 
but no one says that's how long they want to live. They all they all want to live longer than that or shorter than that based on their mentality, and it, it's quite interesting. Well, I think, speaking of their mentality, I mean, everybody would say, I would love to live to 100 if I could be physically fit and mentally healthy. Then, you know, I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people would. But and there are things that you have no control over. So let us just say one more time before we go to break that if you have a comment or question, this is brand new, thanks to Benjamin, and um we're not sure. I don't know that we can get to it this show, but we can comment next week, and or uh, we can email. I think this. Well, is- and it's not only a site where people can ask questions. Uh, I mean, it's not like live radio where you're going to call right. in and, and ask a question, but it's a feedback mechanism that Benjamin set up. And what you can do is go to byuradio.org, and then near the top on the right hand side is a question and comments button, and. One of the one of the things that we're excited about is that we're going to base some of our selection of what our topics will be in future shows based on the kind of questions and comments and thoughts that come in online. So if you have a burning question about your parenting or about your grandparenting or about your family or, or about, about your how, longevity or <laughs> how you can balance your your work life with your family life or whatever go ahead and send it in and who knows we might build a whole show around your question but anyway we've got to go to a brief break when we come back Linda, if you're okay with this, let's get to the question of what is there to live for? What are the re- what are the good reasons for wanting a long, long life? We'll be right back. Ayers on the road, parenting in a modern world. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back um, talking today about longevity. I like how you say that, Linda. Longevity. I uh, did it just a little bit better. Living life in crescendo. <laughs> you know, I think um, uh, here, here's here's the thing, Linda. I'm going to say a little thing, and you tell me what you if you agree or disagree. I usually do. Sixty-five. Do you usually agree, or you usually tell me? I usually tell you. <laughs> <laughs> 65 is the new 45. I agree with that. I mean, I don't know if everybody would agree with that. But at 65, I really didn't feel a lot different than at 45. But <coughs> but you just, uh, you never know. Everybody's body is different. Everybody's mind is different. I agree. I mean, there's so many wonderful things that open to you at age 65 well, and we In want fact, to get maybe into, it's even yeah. better than 45. Well, and that see, I mean, here's the thing. I think what I think is interesting is that uh, you just one generation ago, you know, you'd take a typical 45 year old, and he would say, you know, I've got another good, I've got another good 20 years ahead of me. Well, that's what 65 year olds say today. Isn't it? I mean, right. you, you can hardly meet anyone in their 60s and you say, well, you know, how many good years do you have ahead of you? They'll say, well, at least 20, you know. And so, I mean, literally, we we are the first generation, those of us who are baby boomers, a lot of you listening are, born between 1945 and 1964, basically, 
we are baby boomers, and and we are the first generation to have a lifespan that, in, on average, will go into the 80s, and and a healthy. Uh, you know, here's the thing: if you, uh, what a lot of the studies are saying is, if you're a baby boomer and you're in good health, in other words, you don't have some difficult pre-existing conditions, you probably have another 20 good years. And and so that's why 65 is the new 45. And so, the, the, which begs the question, what are you going to do with those 20 years? What are the reasons that we should want to have a longevity goal and do all we can to make it a self-fulfilling prophecy? And, of course, the biggest reason as you might expect from the Ayers, is your family. Think of what you're going to be able to do for your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren if you really have 20 more good years and if you prioritize your family, as we hope all of you do. Um, You know, it really is interesting that we... We lived in a neighborhood in Salt Lake City when our kids were growing up with a lot of vibrant, beautiful people who have now gotten older. And in that neighborhood, I'll bet you there are 80 people over 80. I mean, I have to say it's a condo area where there are a lot of people who have moved to condos. Well, so. just say it. In our ward, in our ward of the LDS Church, we probably have 80 octogenarians. And I might say we have at least, I'm going to say we have at least a dozen in their 90s. Yeah, I think we do. And all of them are just quite incredible. I mean, we had one who was in a wheelchair and was unaware of the world for quite a while, but by and large, they're incredible. And do you think that's because they set a goal to live until they were older? Or do you think it's because they're so anxious to help leave a good legacy for their kids that they want to be a good example? What do you think that is? Well, it's a good question. I think I think that there's a tremendous correlation between service and usefulness and how long someone lives. I mean, I don't I don't think I don't think it's just the physical that de- determines the emotional and the mental. I think it works both ways and I think that people who stay active and who it's not just staying active, by the way. I mean, that's the common vernacular or just stay active and you'll live a long time. Listen, there are a lot of people who stay active all the time. They get out on the golf course almost every day or whatever. But I think staying active, you have to add to that. You have to say stay active and have a purpose, have a cause, have have things you care about. Feel as though people need you. Those are the kind of activities or, or sort of active mind, active spirit, active body things that really keep people going. And so... You know, and and it becomes a a two-edged sword. I mean, you stay active because you have people you want to serve and help, and people need you, and so on, and you you feel that you're you're contributing to people's lives. And at the same time, it's because you're contributing, staying active, and, and serving others that you live long. So it's like a spiral. One leads to the other, and and people live longer and i think that's the case with a lot of the people you're talking about linda and i think they're all heavily involved with their families i mean they love you know one of the great ways to get a glow on a 95 year old's face is say hey tell me a little about your great grandchildren oh my goodness then you see that you know they shed 20 years just in their countenance as they tell you 
about their great-grandchildren. Well, that's really true. And, you know, as you've been saying that, I've been thinking about your mother, who probably was the one of the great people who gave service her entire life in the world. And she was a widow for 53 years, but she still continued to give, give, give. But then I realized, as you were saying that, that at the end she said, I'm going to finish this family history. She did a whole book of her Swedish family for all of us. And she was making a great contribution. She learned how to use a computer to get pictures in it and so on. And she said when she did that, okay, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to die. And guess what? She did it and she didn't die. Well, but no, but what's interesting is she did it and got finished with it. And then there was this rapid mental decline. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm saying. I mean, she, all of a sudden her mind was just gone. I think because she had focused on that for so long, like this is what's going to happen, and then I'm going to die. And then she really did die in her mind. I mean, obviously there were some physical things that were beyond her control and so on. But it really was very interesting that the difference that it made in her life when she was in her 80s, late 80s, and had a goal to leave something for her progeny. Yeah, that is exactly right. Um, You know, I think it would be interesting to ask this question, Linda. What about... What if we were to ask a lot of the listeners on this show are young parents, their parents in their 20s or their 30s, what do you think the results would be if we said to them, how old, this is a corollary to the earlier question, how old do you want to be? What if we said, how old do you want your parents to live to be? Do you think they would want their parents to stay around longer than the parents themselves wanted to stay around, or do you think... They'd be saying, "Well, you know, as soon as they're, as soon as I have to start taking care of them, let's have them go ahead and die." <laughs> I think, I think you have a wide variety of answers on that, depending on the parent and the relationship and so on. We know so many people who are our age who are waiting for their parents to die so that they can get their inheritance and go on with their lives and build their houses and do what they've you know, waited to do until they got that. I mean, they're not standing prey over them and hoping for them to pass away. But but it is really an interesting question because, you know, it's so funny when we ask young audiences this, and by young I mean in their 40, 30s and 40s, how long they want to live, and they say 72. Well, they <laughs> they get to 60 and think, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> I think I'll adjust that. Oh, little. my gosh, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not 12 years away from that. And, and you know, just seen, when we were young, you know, 50 seemed old. Well, 40 seemed old, then 50 seemed old. Now when you think 70 seems really old and 80 is ancient. And, you know, you really do change your view as you get closer to well, those older years. And the reason I pose that question is that I think, a lot of you who are listening, who, you know, if you're in your 30s or 40s, I hope you didn't turn out, because tune out, because you heard we were going to talk about old people. Because really, you're the key. I mean, the question is, how how are you doing as a parent in terms of getting your parents involved with your children's lives? In other words, uh, the, the real danger sometimes for for older people is that they feel unneeded, and and some types of personalities that doesn't bother them. They get involved anyway, but other types need an invitation from their own children to do more with their family, to do more with their grandchildren, to do more with the, their great grandchildren, even because 
they want to feel useful. Now, this is kind of an American thing, believe me. In most of Asia and many other parts of the world, the grandparents are always involved. They usually live in the same home right. with, the, with the, uh, the other two generations. But here in this country, more than anywhere else in the world, there's this tendency to sort of separate out and find that, uh, you know, the, the the parents are living somewhere else. They're in a retirement community. They're somewhere removed from their God, yeah. progeny. And we think we ought to do all we can, no matter which generation we're a part of, to end that, to have this integrated, wonderful multi-generational family where everyone's involved, everyone's needed, everyone's helping, everyone is reliant on each other. Uh, I remember sitting with a couple, I don't know if you remember this night or not, but we were in Denver at a ski resort and fire in the background and everything, and we sat with a couple that had organized the the event, and they said, you know, our biggest problem is that our parents don't want anything to do with our kids. Except for our second biggest problem is that we have a teenager that's driving us crazy. And so as we talked yeah. through for a little while, we realized that what they needed to do is ask the parents to help them with their teenager for advice or to take them out and, you know, feel it out and find out what they could do about it and so on. And they were delighted with that idea. They just hadn't thought about it. And whether or not the parents would agree, who knows. But I think we told them the old adage, the reason grandkids and grandparents get along so well as they have the same mutual enemy. <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> a lot of times there is a magic between generation one and generation three. And so I want to uh, give you the closing word, Linda, but for my closing word, I just want to say we need more grandparent involvement in families. That might be the thing that will save this world. And I have to agree with that. I'd just like to close off by saying I really want to live to be 100, as long as my mind and body are just wonderful. No caveats. We're going for 100. We're, <laughs> All right. we're doing this show for another 40 years. Right. There you go. Oh, you poor listeners. All right. <laughs> we'll see you next week with Ayers on the Road. <laughs> <laughs> 